Amen. Sister Jester, would you mind just standing and giving us a little update on Brother Jester, how he's doing? I know we keep him in prayer often. It'd be good to hear how he's doing today. Praise God. Thank you. I know the Lord's working on him. Amen. Praise God. If you have a Bible, why don't you turn to Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 29. For those of you that don't know, the the book of Proverbs was was written by Solomon. Solomon was the son of David, and boy, did they have a, a past, a background for how he got to where he was. We might talk about that a, bit, a, little, a little bit today, but Solomon is the one that wrote these words, and this verse, Proverbs 24 and verse 29, it says, Say not, I will do so to him as he hath done to me. Say not, I will do so to him as he hath done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. I will render to the man according to his work. What Solomon is saying here, he's trying to share a bit of wisdom to say we don't treat people based on how they have treated us. We don't react to people based on the way that they act to us, towards us. I mentioned that Solomon, he's the son of David, and so much of the story of David has to do with his beginnings. From the time that he was a child, as a shepherd watching over a flock, protecting them, finding himself in battle with Goliath and bringing his faith to that battlefield and knowing here's what's going to happen because here's what's already happened. And then really that is just the springboard for the next phase of his life that he was going to enter into with King Saul. Because if you remember... Nobody had the courage to stand up to Goliath. Nobody, the soldiers, the, the army men, were sitting there shaking in their armor. None of, none of them wanted to stand up and fight. And David comes from the flock, comes from the pasture, and he sees what's going on. And he says, this man is defying our God, and you're just letting him defy our God. And that's, that's the simple faith of a child in a lot of ways. Us as adults, we, we often get our faith put to the test just from the simple faith of a child. Do you, Dad, do you really think that the Bible says this? Or do you really think that that happened? And, you know, can God do this? And did God really do that? And then you've got to stop and think for a minute. Well... I've been saying my whole life that he did or that the Bible says that it did. But do I really believe that? Do I really think that? And so this is the faith that David is bringing to that battlefield. There's a man out there. I don't care how tall he is. There's a man out there that's saying bad stuff about our Lord. And he says, I will fight him. Just like I fought the bear, just like I fought the lion and the Lord gave me victory over them, I will fight him. 
because I'm taking my simple faith of what I know the Lord can do to the battlefield. So this is the springboard for what happens next in his life, where he acted on that faith, where he got victory over the giant. Remember, it was already promised. Saul said, whoever defeats this giant, if anyone can defeat this giant, I'm going to let them marry my daughter. And I'm going to give them this and that. Well, I promise you, that's not what David did it for, right? He, he acted just simply because he wasn't going to let the Lord be spoken of that way. But so he, he defeats Goliath. Saul gives him this and that, the place in the kingdom, the, the daughter's hand in marriage. And they were happily ever after, right? Nope. No. That, that was, like I said, that was the springboard for what came next in David's life. And before he knows it, he's on the run from Saul because Saul's turned against him. Saul realizes, okay, this little dude fought the giant and beat him. He's got a following now. He's kind of a, a, he's kind of a cult leader in a way because people just love these underdog stories. And I'm not the underdog. No, I'm the guy that was head and shoulders above everybody. I'm the guy that was anointed by God to be the first king of Israel. And here comes this runt, if you will. And I see that he can take my place. So he turns on David. David has to flee and run for his life and spend time hiding in caves and and, and basically fearing for his life and wondering what's, what's Saul up to now until he gets to the point where he's, he decides, I can't go on like this. This is no way for me to live. I can't just keep living in fear of what Saul's going to try to do to me next. So he, he gets a little braver again, and he takes this faith, and he says, okay, Lord, you've, if you've already anointed me to be king, I'm just going to trust that. I'm just going to lean on that and believe that I don't have to spend my time here fearing for my life. But he, see, he gets these opportunities, multiple opportunities, to react to the way that Saul has acted to him. And I wonder how many of us, if we were put in David's place, would have said, I'm justified in my action to react because of what he's done to me or what he's trying to do to me. The way that he even made me flee and leave the country and live out here in these caves. That alone's bad enough for me. I want to react to this. But we know the story. Two different occasions, he goes and, well, one time he just cuts off a part of his sleeve. As proof, he says, Saul, here's what I could have done to you. But I didn't. I didn't react that way. And remember, this is the son of David, Solomon, who's writing. He's basically saying, my father had this right. He didn't re render, he didn't react the way that he should have reacted, justified by how the guy treated him. Everybody still with me? He had multiple chances to return Saul's evil and ill will back to him, but he didn't. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Peter's going to be writing here to the church, and he gives some instruction. It's going to sound a little bit like what Solomon said there in Proverbs. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil. Same thing that Solomon said. Or railing for railing. This, is, this, is, this might even be a little bit more difficult for a lot of us 
than the first part of rendering evil for evil. Because railing, that has to do with just what you say. Now, the Bible says he that can control his tongue is greater than he that can take cities. So I can take the city by rendering evil for evil. David could have just swiped everything away from Saul. And that would be rendering evil for evil. But even in what Peter says here, don't render railing for railing. When that guy or that girl is sitting there giving you the what for. Telling you all about why you're wrong for what you're doing or what you're saying or what you're believing. Or just saying one bad or mean thing after another to you. What Peter's saying here is, that doesn't give you the right to respond in kind. The Christian way is not to, oh yeah, well let me tell you about what you said. What you've done. I'll turn this back on you. And then we're rendering railing for railing. But contrary-wise, blessing. Oh, man, is that difficult. Blessing. Knowing that ye, thereunto, that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. Verse 10. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. 11. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. I'm not going to be finding peace if I'm actually looking for opportunity to return evil in kind. There's no peace there. There's no peace. I'm going to say this. There's no peace in winning an argument. There might be some other things in winning an argument. But there's no peace in winning an argument just for the sake of winning an argument. Let him seek peace and ensue it. Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil, even when those ones that do evil decide to turn around and pray. What he's saying here is, the Lord's looking over the righteous. And if I'm evil, and if I'm acting evil, and if I'm returning evil for evil, and then I want to turn around and say, okay, Lord, now, bless me. I need you. Let's talk about what I need and what we're going to do. And the Lord is not rewarding that. i read it again. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15. See that none render evil for evil unto any man. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. This is, this is the same thing that, that Peter was writing about in seeking peace. Ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. This is a challenge for us because we, we see what's good for me and we see what's good for them. And we oftentimes think, well, they're not the same thing. Because what I need, what I think I would like, and what I'm seeing as good and seeking after that may not be what God says is good and for you to seek after. We want peace in our lives. Amen. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. 
recompense to no man, evil for evil. You know, the Scripture says out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Same goes for the Scripture itself. When you find this in Scripture repeatedly, it's telling you this word is being established because there's the mouth of this witness and the mouth of Solomon thousands of years before Peter and Paul writing these messages said, just because somebody's mean to you doesn't mean you get to be mean to them. And then Paul comes along and writes it to the church in Thessalonians. Just because somebody's being mean to you doesn't mean you get to be mean to them. First Peter writes it in his book. Just because somebody's being mean to you doesn't mean you get to act that way back at them. Rendering evil. For, now, I know I'm not, I'm not looking at a group of a bunch of evil people. I'm looking at some kind, sweet, loving, patient people. I've been around enough, most of you long enough to realize you're not just out there looking for evil and, and to do evil, trying to return evil. But this is, a, this is what the Lord is saying repeatedly through his scripture because this is just what comes second nature to us as humans. When I get mistreated, I want to mistreat. When I get reviled... Jesus said, blessed are you when they shall revile you. You're not any more like me than when they're reviling you. It's hard to find a lot of people in the Bible that had had a lot of good things to say about Jesus, right? Those Those that were around him during his day while he was walking the earth. Not, I mean, I can really think of one occasion where he entered a city And everybody was happy to see him. One time. But how many times in scripture do we see? And he went here. And he went there. And he went to this place. And he entered that city. And he came here. Usually, it's, no. We don't like what you're saying. We don't like what you're doing. Except the one or two people that has a need. And and they go to find him to meet that need. But the vast majority of people are speaking evil about him. And saying, this man's blaspheming. This man is doing works out of the devil. He, he, he gets his power from, from the devil. And they're, they're saying all these bad things about him. And Jesus turns and he looks at his followers and says, blessed are you when they talk this way about you. That makes me stop and think for a second. How am I wanting people to view me? How am I actually... Am I just constantly trying to seek the approval of everybody and make everybody happy? Don't make anybody mad and just, no, because, because I, I need them to say good stuff about me. I need them to feel like I'm, I, I'm, the, I'm the nice person, the, the one that gets along with everybody. Again, Jesus said, blessed are you when they revile you for my sake. Romans 12, 17, recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Verse 18, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Verse 19, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. I, I honestly, I felt the Lord tell me before, before I even left for, for church this morning that this would be a crucial, that's the word he used, not me. I don't use that word. This would be a crucial day for us here today. What that means to me is what the scriptures we're reading, the things we're saying, the examples we're talking about, it's because it's real to us. And, and just like David had the chance to do good or bad, just like 
Paul and, and Peter are writing to the people, you have the chance to do good or do bad and return in kind or seek peace. This is what we're after today. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Watch this, verse 20. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, let's stop for a second. Who's my enemy? Who is my enemy? If, the, if, if I believe the, the word is true and I believe that it applies to my life and I want to put these things into action, and Paul's writing here to Romans, the church in Rome, church in Rome, you have an enemy. If your enemy is hungry. Okay, so we're not just talking about a bunch of, uh, of demons and evil spirits because I can't feed them. But if my enemy is hungry, okay, this is somebody that has hunger like me, flesh like me. So really what we're talking about, the enemy is somebody who doesn't want to see you succeed. Okay? Now, I, I guarantee you, this early church in Rome that had these letters written to them, they had a lot of people that didn't want to see them succeed. This, th these, this was their day. And their age, people against you, that's your enemy. Now, again, i got to stop and i got to reflect on myself. Am I even living a life to such a degree in my walk with God that I could even make an enemy? Not that I want to. Okay? Not that I'm trying to. I don't go around trying to be offensive and look at me. You're not like me. I'm holy. You're not like me. I'm modest. You're not like me. Because I can do that, and I can make some enemies. I could. I could do that. I could make some enemies. But, no, my walk with God is just supposed to, just supposed to divide just enough that when I, when I come through a situation, I leave a trail behind me, and it says righteous versus unrighteous. Here's what Caleb does because he thinks it's righteous. And here's what he doesn't do because he believes it's unrighteous. And now my enemy is going to sit there and observe and say, oh, wait a second. I'm on this side of things. I'm on this unrighteous side of things. Now, I am supposed to live godly among all men for a witness. Okay, I am supposed, but what's going to happen is when I'm living godly, when I'm being a witness, and a human being sees that and observes it and sees a deficiency in themselves in that regard, they're not going to have a lot of great things to say about me because it's, it's, it's a self-reflective moment for them. And they're saying, no, he can't be that way. He, he's really not that honest. He's really not that modest. He's really not that whatever you fill in the blank. And now, because it's their human nature, they want to see me fail to prove to them, yes, I was right. He's got problems too. I've got an enemy. I'm not, again, so I'm not trying. But this is kind of like social etiquette class 101 in, a little, in, in some ways because word will get back around to me if I stay in that situation long enough. Word will get back around to me. So-and-so says that you're not as good as you think you are. I, again, I don't live to try and make enemies. I'm trying to do what Romans said, live peaceably among all men. So I'm not trying to make enemies. But when I'm trying to live peaceably and when I'm trying to follow what's right, and when I'm follow, trying to follow the word of God, did Jesus have any enemy? We know that he did.
How many times were the disciples thrown in prison? More than once. They had a few enemies, right? Okay, so therefore, if thine enemy hunger, don't rejoice. Don't thank the Lord because he's given them what they deserve. Feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in doing so, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Now, I got a problem with that because I'm, try, I'm trying to be nice. I don't want to heap coals of fire on his head. I'm not trying to make his life harder because I am trying to live peaceably. I am trying to not return evil for evil. But remember what I said, when he's wanting to see me fail, when my enemy is wanting to see me fail, and then they turn around and they get face to face with the kindness of Jesus living through me, the love of Jesus living through me, they're going to go home and stew in it. I hope they go home and stew in it because I want the Lord to be able to work through that in their life. And if he can show to so-and-so, if, even if in his mind he's my enemy, if he can show and prove to him, this is the love with which I'm reaching to you. This is the, this is the length I'm willing to go to meet your need by having you fed by your enemy, by having you given drink by your enemy, boom, light bulbs start to come on. Relationship with, between God and that individual is now there at a level it was never there before. And it <laughs> doesn't mean I, I get to serve him a drink, and I know, this, I know this isn't your favorite, and I'm at least happy that you don't like diet squirt. No, this, I, I, I'm just doing what the Bible says. When my enemy's hungry, feed him. When he's thirsty, give him a drink. In doing so, you shall heap cold. Verse 21. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Really, what, ha what happens here is, how, what does it mean to be overcome with evil? Well, look at the other side of the equation. Overcoming evil with good. So if good is not overcoming evil, I am being overcome with evil. I'll say that again. If good, okay, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So if I am not doing the second part of this, overcoming evil with good, then I am being overcome with evil because I am, I am given a situation. I'm faced with a chance, with an occasion, through this evil, to not be overcome by it. How do I not be overcome by it? By overcoming it with good. If, I, if, I, if, I, if I'm not, there's, there's no middle ground here. There's no just check out. And be a Christian. Just check out and pray. Just check out. No, you will overcome this evil with good. Or you will be overcome with evil. We mentioned David for a second. There's a chance. If you just read a few of those books there in Samuel. And, and learn about the time from after Goliath, but before David's anointed as king. And you see this dilemma and this, this battle that he goes through with Saul. You see how many chances did he have to return Saul's evil in kind. But he, he knew Saul was anointed by God. And that was the reason why he would never go any further. And, and, and take his life or destroy his kingdom or whatever he could have done. Saul finds himself on the battlefield after, after Samuel prophesied to him, you will die tomorrow and your sons 
are going to die in battle tomorrow. And Saul finds himself on the battlefield. He gets news that his sons have died. He eventually dies through means that we should talk about at another time, but not today. But he's dead on the battlefield. And I really don't know how frequently this, this was, but it's kind of like the modern-day equivalent of squatters going through the battlefield. Ooh, this guy's wallet's left showing. He's not going to need that. Thank you. Oh, that's a nice sword. You won't have need of that anymore. Thank you. And he comes to, to King Saul. Ooh, that's a nice crown he's got there. Thank you. That's a nice armband he's got. Thank you. And this guy gets, gets an idea. David, we all know by now, David, that, that scrawny kid that beat Goliath, the one that got to marry the king's daughter, that guy, he might have some, some use for this, or he, he might have some interest in knowing this. And so he takes this crown and this armband of Saul's to David. David, oh, man, I just came from the battlefield. Let me tell you about what I found on the battlefield. I'm going to tell you about what happened. And this guy composes this crazy, far-fetched story about how he came across this stuff. He says, well, Saul was in battle, and he was really injured, and, and he, he was about to die. And he told me, go ahead and take my life because I don't want to be captured by Philistines. So I, King David... Being the good soldier that I am, being the brave and valiant man that I am, being the <clears throat> kind of poor man that I am, decided I will do what's right and valiant. And, and, and I, 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 I killed him for himself. I, I took his life because that's what he wanted. Man, it wasn't easy, let me tell you. But I did it. First of all, that was a lie. Second of all, David says, you killed God's anointed. You think I'm going to be impressed by that? You think I'm, I'm going to reward you for that? That's what this guy was actually trying to do. He was hoping to cash in on the crown, the jewels, what he returned, and, and, and the story that he built up about himself. Hoping to cash in on this. But David says, you want a reward? You'll get that reward. Guards. And that man received his reward. It was, his life was taken for, from him. So he's, he's wanting to present this certain side of himself. He's wanting to show, here's what I can do. Here's what I could have done. But David, again, he, he, because he knows, we think David should be happy with this news. All right, one step closer to the throne. Saul is out of the way. But no, this is how deeply this conviction ran in David that I don't want to see evil befall this man. I don't want to see. I know he's not good. I know he's not kind. I know he, 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 he threw his spear at me of all things. And he's maybe going on the run and in hiding. I know that he's done this, but what does he do? He actually turns and he writes a psalm after Saul, after Jonathan have died in battle. David writes a psalm to honor them. You ever heard this phrase, how the mighty have fallen? David wrote that about Saul. After he died, after he's gone through all of this, man, he ruined my life, you could say. But what he does, he has this, this true conviction and this, this belief that if God sets him up, God should be the one that determines his end. God should be the one that gets to say, your final chance. No, one more chance. No, your final, no, one more chance. Because that's why David did not intervene in any of those times, any of those chances. Now, I want to, 
I want to say one more thing here about David. Because in that instance and other instances, and, and, and what David really says, he comes about as saying, you can't murder somebody. You can't take their life away because what you're doing is you're taking away God's ability to bring about his end, his purpose, his will there. And so that's why he had this, 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 uh, this uh, looter killed. Don't have the time to go into it, but that's why we see this. You look at the story of, of Abner and Joab, and the same thing happens there. One guy kills another guy unjustly. And again, David is not happy about it. And he, he's, he's, he's letting his stance be made known. Murder, no, never good. And then most of us know the, 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 the following years of David's life once he becomes king. I've already made this hard stance against murder. I've already made this. I've made it known to everybody. But then he has this thing with Bathsheba. And now there's another man in the way, so to speak. And through his humanity, he finds himself going down that same path and dilemma of trying to justify Evil. Well, this guy did it back here, and yeah, he, he thought he had a good reason. And this guy did it back here, and he thought he had a good reason. What have I done? I've got to cover this. And we know he sends Uriah to the front lines of battle to certain death. His story could have ended there. David's story. It could have had an end just like Saul's, where you start out anointed, but then you turn evil. You start these evil actions, justifying them. But thankfully, when the prophet approached David and confronted his sin, what we do is we get a glimpse into David's own mind. He, know, he knows his own evil better than he knew the evil of that looter or of Joab or of Saul or any of these guys. He's confronted now with this evil, this myself. What have I done? And he could have chosen, like human nature would like to do, to return evil on himself. What does that look like? I'm never, I'm, I'm no good. I'm never going to get past this. I had my chance, and I blew it. And now, there's nothing good left for me. It's just a bunch of evil left in my life. But we read through Psalm chapter 51, and what we see is we see a, a psalm of repentance, a glimpse of David's repentance. I'm not, just like I... I just like I knew right from wrong in these other situations, and I got to exercise my kingly authority and say, right, wrong. I'm, I'm shining this light on myself now. I'm acknowledging wrong. But thankfully, he didn't return more wrong. He didn't render more evil for his evil and take himself completely out of the picture and what God wanted to do from that point forward in his life. No, he repented. So I, I encourage you to read it. It's one of my favorite books, Psalms chapter 51. He repented. This, this, is, the hard, this is the hardest evil to forgive Sometimes, when I know that I was evil, well, I shouldn't even use that word, but I, when I knew that I messed up, when I know that I did something wrong, it, it, Brother Rosario, it's easy to forgive him if, if, he, if he reviled against me that...
Wow. All right, why don't you stand with me? That's a close if I've ever heard one. (laughs) Amen. No, it's easy to forgive others. It's easy to forgive. It's easier to forgive when somebody else has done evil against you. You can, you can work and see, well, the grace of the Lord's forgiven them. I'll forgive them. But then like David, when, you, when you're confronted with your own evil, your own sin, sometimes we take years to work through that. We take years to work, if we even get to that point. But like I said, what you're doing is you're taking yourself out of the things God has for you yet to be seen, yet to be done. But I'm holding myself back. Really what I'm doing is I'm returning evil for evil. I'm putting more guilt, more shame. That's evil stuff, folks. I'm returning more evil because of something wrong that I did. This is what the Lord wants to deal with today in us. I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to allow more shame, more guilt. One passage says, There's no, therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. This condemnation, I'm, I'm able to step out of it. I'm able to be free from it. Man, if we only knew what that looked like. If we only knew what that felt like. Because we've had so much condemnation for so long. We know what that looks like. We know what that feels like. We're, we're familiar with that. But to see no condemnation, this is what the Lord's offering to us today. Amen? Why don't we pray just right where you are. Just open up your heart. Let's talk to the Lord. Jesus. God, we need you today. I thank you, Lord God, for offering repentance and offering forgiveness. Thank you for offering your blood to cover our sin, Lord. Jesus, I pray, let us examine ourselves, God. Lord, our own human tendency and our own human nature to want to return evil, Lord, I pray that you would help us develop the heart of Christ. Help us to develop the mind of Christ where we would see others, God, as you see them, where we would learn to bless others, Lord God, where we would learn to be a blessing, Lord Jesus, even in an inconvenient situation, even in a timing, trying time, Lord. Let us seek peace, Lord Jesus. Let us seek peace, Lord God. Jesus, we want to live peaceably among all men. In the name of Jesus, I'm going to open this altar if you'd like to step forward. The Lord is here to to heal and minister to these needs today. Jesus, I open myself to you, God. I want to be honest and true before you, Jesus. God, that there would be no evil. Jesus, that there would be no evil motive, no impure intentions, God. Jesus, but I want to be open and honest before you today. Jesus, I pray for my brother today, God. I pray that your love prevail over his life. I pray for my enemy today, Lord Jesus, that blessings, Lord, would begin to flow into their life, that the love of God would begin to flow into their life. Jesus, that you would begin to prevail through your truth, through your word and your love, Lord God, that it would open an avenue of repentance, Jesus, that it would open an avenue for your salvation, God, to enter in and do a cleansing work like nothing else can do. In the name of Jesus, I encourage you, find someone to pray with for a moment. 
before we dismiss, let's lend ourselves to the Lord, the work that he wants to do here today. you to begin to think about others you can pray for right now. Begin to pray blessing over their life. Begin to pray, pray anointing over their life. The, that the love of God would shine in their life. Jesus, in your name. God, you know the souls, Lord, that are in the balance right now today. Jesus, you know those that are waiting for a visitation of your spirit. Jesus, Lord, we do our part, as your word says, and pray blessing on them. We want to return love to them. We, we want to return kindness to them. Jesus, in your name, I pray blessing over the enemies, Lord. I pray blessing right now over their home, over their family, Lord Jesus. 
I pray blessing right now, God, that you would do a work only you can do, Lord Jesus, that the love of God would prevail, that the kingdom of God would be furthered today. Jesus, that you would begin to work in these hearts, begin to work in these lives, Lord Jesus. God, that it would be without question, Lord, that you are reaching that you are sharing your love, God, that you are bestowing your love, your kindness on us, Lord Jesus. I thank you for your blessings, Jesus. I thank you for the times you've shown mercy, God. I thank you for the times you've been long-suffering, the times that you've been patient, Lord Jesus. God, I pray right now, Lord, those of us that are struggling with guilt, with shame, Lord Jesus. I pray right now, God, that we would begin to forgive ourselves, God. Jesus, that we would not hold evil against ourselves. Jesus, but that we would return it to you, God, in, in forgiveness, Lord, in repentance. Jesus, in the washing and the cleansing of your blood, let it be returned, God, as love. Let it be returned, Lord Jesus, as blessing in the name of Jesus. I challenge you this week, when the Lord brings somebody to your mind, to your memory, and you think, what role would they fit in what we heard on Sunday, in my life, in my past, in my background? What role did they play? And then examine, don't examine them, examine yourself. Have I prayed blessing on them? Have I showed love to them? Or am I just looking for chances to return their attitude back on them? And the Lord will begin to work and deliver us out of that, out of that mindset to where he can start to work. And it, I promise you, when you see the Lord working in the life of somebody else, there's no greater reward than to see them reach peace and salvation. Amen? I believe that. I'm claiming that today. In Jesus' name, why don't you greet one another as you're dismissed?